Hello everyone, welcome to Cracking Addiction. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and we have with us today Dr. Manu Badnagar. Manu, I thought today we'd talk about the diagnostic criteria for ADHD. So do you want to talk us through the, the kind of the top level ideas of, what, of how we actually diagnose this condition? We use the DSM-5 uh, criteria in mm. Australia. And um, I think previously we'd mentioned the American DSM and European British ICD. Uh, look, they're pretty similar in terms of the diagnostic criteria, but it is a starting point. And it's something that I do as part of a clinical assessment takes an entire hour in and of itself, but it's not the definitive way to diagnose ADHD. It's, it's um, the rule book of whether someone might have ADHD or not. But the first point of the criteria is um, how long you've had these symptoms. And I think something that really keep reminding patients is that it isn't something that can be acquired or has an acute onset. ADHD is something you were born with, probably. Um, it probably first started symptoms in childhood or adolescent if you're 31 or 32 now and you happen to be seeing me it's just that this is when you're first getting the diagnosis so part of the criteria is at least six months of duration in the adolescent period um, and has been a pervasive part of someone's um, functioning it's only just coming to attention now so that's what we would call a retrospective diagnosis but often you'd also find that someone has had a diagnosis when they're younger and you, they just stop treatment and they're seeing you again for a re-diagnosis as an adult yeah. now to make a diagnosis you've got of adhd you talk about this early onset in childhood is there an absolute maximum age beyond which the the presence of these symptoms no longer can be considered neurodevelopmental I, look, I think it's more commonly seen under 12, 12 to 16, yeah. it's still seen. Um, the hyperactivity subtype, so um, kids who are fidgeting or have a lot of agitation, disruptive, yelling, um, they're obviously picked up much earlier and that's in primary school. And luckily primary schools are a really important part of the diagnostic criteria being met because you can get that objective opinion about whether all of these criteria um, are demonstrated somewhere. You, a child will not one of themselves be able to self-report some of these. So uh, the hyperactivity subtype is often seen a lot earlier and the inattention, um, that subtype can be a little bit, a little bit late to pick up. Um, for some people so late, they're you know, past the point where they can get a diagnostic assessment as a child. So really what I'm hearing is 12, you really want to have symptoms yeah. presenting before 12, and it's really for at least six months. Yeah, yeah. And look, yeah. I, I think um, if if you do have parents and um, teachers who can do assessments earlier on, then that's under, you know, six even is probably the best time to be able to mm. correct things. But yeah, yeah. 12 is yeah. sort of a cut cutoff. So, Manu, you, you've spoken about how important it is to get a collateral history from, from primary school. So that brings us into a discussion on the concept of domains. So, so we know that, you know, to make the diagnosis, you need to have a certain number of criteria, but they have to apply in more than one setting, don't they? Yeah, that's right. So um, people can have different set of symptoms depending on where they are. And the structure one gets in uh, one particular environment, like school, can perhaps sometimes override those symptoms, whereas at home that structure doesn't exist and can be very disruptive. Um, whether, whether you're with 
a strict parent or whether you're in um, an environment like with your peers, whether there are no guidelines, it can really impact your functioning. What meets the criteria for ADHD is that these pervasive symptoms happen in multiple domains. So the DSM criteria says for more than two, um, but really you want to make sure that this is really happening regardless of where someone is and that it's affecting their functioning in um, academic, uh, social, and also um, in terms of their hobbies in many, many different facets of their life. And it's impeding functioning to the point where they really can't succeed in any of those. Yeah. So we're talking about school, home, hobbies, and then adults, I suppose, the domains expand, don't they? Yeah. I mean, you have more domains, but to meet the criteria, it's only more than two. So yeah. you can direct yeah. your question to um, two, two or more. So we've got so far, we've got the need for symptoms appearing for at least six months under the age of 12. We've got multiple domains and you know, that can include school. We've also got specific exclusion criteria according to DSM-5, haven't we? Yeah, and there's always a caveat in every disorder in the DSM, and it's, um, it often says that this um, cannot be excluded by other disorders, such as substance use disorders, mood disorders, or other um, uh, psychotic disorders like schizophrenia or schizophrenia. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Active disorder can often um, mimic um, inattention and ADHD. So that's a common one that people can find um, in into episode that they feel like they have inattention. But that's actually one of the symptoms of bipolar in and of itself. So making sure that you yeah. have a good history before embarking upon an ADHD diagnosis to include those is really vital. Yeah. Now let's talk about the specific sets of criteria. So we've got broadly speaking two classes. What 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 are they? So the two classes of symptoms are also the two subtypes of ADHD, um, which is inattention, hyperactivity or impulsivity, um, and yeah. have each of their own sub-symptoms. Yeah. And how many, so I suppose we'll talk about kids first and then adults. So according to DSM at five at least, how many symptoms do you need in each of these classes to make a diagnosis in kids versus adults? So with kids, you need six out of the nine symptoms to reach the yeah. threshold of having the diagnosis. Uh, and with yeah. adults, it's five out of the nine symptoms. But this is yeah. where it gets a bit tricky because having that collateral history going back in time to say you had all these symptoms, you need to have um, a parent or school reports or some sort of objective way of saying you had more symptoms when you were a child. But five for an adult is enough to meet the threshold. Okay, so I suppose really it's time to drill down into these symptoms. So I have a mnemonic that I use to kind of try and remember the symptoms of both the inattentive and the hyperactive impulsivity criteria. So if we look at the inattentive uh, subtype, my mnemonic for that is calf moved. So C-A-L-F-M-O-V-E-D. So the calf wasn't paying attention and moved away from the rest of the herd. That's how I think about it. So C for completion. So the inability to follow through projects. A for avoids homework or other large projects. L for loses things all the time. F for being forgetful. M, the minutiae of life. So the inattention to detail. O for organization, so poor organization. 
V for vigilance, difficulty in sustaining attention. E for ears, the, you know, the, the symptom of, oh, he doesn't listen or she doesn't listen. And D for distractibility. So that's how I think about the criteria. But how, how would you approach the, the inattentive criteria for, uh, for ADHD? A calf moving. That's a, that's a brilliant. <laughs> well, you ain't heard nothing yet. Wait till you hear the other one. <laughs> um, the 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 way of approaching a history for this is there's a bit of an art in how you ask these questions. Mm. Someone will look up the symptoms of ADHD before they're coming to you to get an assessment for ADHD. I think it's yeah. goes yeah. without saying. So um, yeah. this is where those symptoms in and of themselves can't be how you make your diagnosis you need to enter a discussion about what's going on for that person in their life and exactly sort of yeah through um crises or mood disorders or you know all the other things that could be happening that account for these symptoms and then also ask them to give specific examples of why they perceive an intention and then by the end of that if you're not oh yeah, yeah i've got three or four um then you can specifically ask hey by the way do, do you spend a lot of time looking for your keys around the house um how yeah. um how long does it take you to uh, finish a task that you really want to do? So generally you want to get these um, symptoms from a natural conversation so that you can yes. assess any yeah. of them and then yeah. drill yeah. the tick-boxy elements. Yeah. One, of, one of the specific uh, symptoms that I am very, I, I, I think is quite sensitive is this idea that our, our, our patients will often start multiple projects before they finish the previous project and they're always moving to and fro different different projects uh, especially in adults they've got this desire to acquire everything or to meet all their goals all at once and they, they, they don't seem to have the ability to actually sequence their goal their goal setting yeah it's almost like the blunder bunch bus approach yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. I, I can definitely relate to, you know, having a lot of moments where I'm inspired by something, you know, oh, I really want to do that, and then it doesn't pan out. I think the key with ADHD is that these aren't um, additional things that someone wants to do to potentially have side jobs or um, research something in their spare time. These are core ways of functioning, uh, you know, basic homework that they need to do or study to pass an exam. Um an email to basically be able to pay your bills function you know the you start many things that you really need to do they're really important but you just never yeah. it's not a choice you know to actually you know survive and function in life this as you say is necessary here's a question for you is it possible to pass an exam and do well in, in an exam with adhd i think so and i think the context of that exam is really important so a lot of people who are doing exams if they're part of a a structured course where they have peers who are studying in pin drop silence, um, you know, they can generally do the same thing in that really, really intense environment. Um, really supportive high schools or you know, maybe even strict, what one might say, uh, could be conducive mm. to having someone yeah. with ADHD get through because ADHD says nothing mm. about intelligence. It says nothing about rules. Yes. It, it's yeah. about... Being able to sit there and give focus, mm. those things. So yeah. if something is there keeping you on track, then it is definitely possible. 
I mean, I suppose this leads on to an idea or to a discussion, perhaps for another episode about, you know, the idea of actually goal setting and then, you know, ultradian rhythms and ultradian cycles and how long it is actually possible for a normal, yeah. uh, sorry, uh, not, not the word normal, but someone even without ADHD to, uh, to, to maintain vigilance to study and how can you adapt those routines to help people with ADHD. And that speaks to the vigilance, you know, the, the, this difficulty in sustaining attention. I mean, what, what do you, I've, a lot of people use this, this music that you know, they wear headphones and they listen to specific binaural beats to help them focus. Do you think that's any good or is that just a thing that some people might benefit from and others don't? Is that a real thing? Yeah, I, I think there is an adequate amount of stimulation because people with ADHD um, struggle to focus when they have too many distractions. I think a, a sort of an optimum amount of background noise and stimulation is probably good to be able to set tasks and complete them. Um, mm. I think that neurodivergence with ADHD is a really important thing to keep coming back to because a lot of people with neurodivergence, be it ASD or ADHD, find that they their sensorium is different. It's not just about the of why they don't function. And one of the good things about ADHD is that when you do have treatment with medication, um, you can find your own way of making that work. You, know, you can take the medication at a particular time and get yourself in the right environment where you can be productive. And I think that's a really important part of treating ADHD. So I don't know about the specific evidence, but a lot of people will find their groove, so to say, um, where they can be most productive. And they might have a little bit of background music or what the lighting at a particular um, intensity in the room. So if we move on to the the hyperactivity impulsivity uh, symptoms, again we have a mnemonic. My mnemonic for this is damp flirts. So I have a specific visual image around that, which I'm not going to share with you. But anyway, D <laughs> D for driven. A answers out, blurts out answers. Uh, M moving, always on the move, always on the go. P for play, cannot play quietly. F for fidgeting, L for loquacious, i.e. overly talkative, I for interruptions, so frequently interrupting conversations or stop or you know finishing people's sentences, R for running, running inappropriately, T for turns, the inability or difficulty in waiting in line or taking turns, and then S for the seat, i.e. leaving the seat often not able to sit still for any prolonged period of time. How would you approach the these kind of movement symptoms? That's that's a much more difficult um, one to diagnose in a clinical interview because someone, even when they do have the hyperactive subtype, in the context of a, an interview, a clinical interview, they can stop that for, for an hour. And um, mm-hmm. you know, four of the symptoms you mentioned are about um, verbal impulsivity, and that yeah, can be. Yeah, difficult to quantify by assessing someone it's you know when you're asking a lot of questions and expecting a particular answer it's really difficult to know how someone behaves in a natural environment and then a self-rated question it's like did you do this a lot if someone really wants an adhd diagnosis they're gonna say yeah i do that all the time so hyperactivity firstly isn't something that i'm seeing a lot in the people who are coming and wanting a new diagnosis um but it's definitely something that other people will pick up on and be disrupted by um, especially in childhood and adolescence. So 
again, a natural history of saying, you know, what, what makes you think you're hyperactive and people will have to give specific examples, two or three, um, getting their parents on the phone or in the room, seeing school reports um, if they're still available and saying Jimmy was um, interrupting a lot and um, talking to other students while it was quiet time. You know, those things can be telltale signs of it, but it's really difficult to diagnose that subtype in a clinical Certainly in adults, isn't it? But in kids, it's actually quite easy because they're the ones that break the furniture. Yeah. 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 So it's interesting how it's easy in kids, but difficult in adults. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think a lot of the work with that, with kids is watching them through a, a one-sided mirror and just coming to a diagnosis based on their behaviours and the patterns of play as opposed to the words. Yeah. Because so, um, so, so what does that look like then? Um, so that often will look like... Uh, someone whose task is to set up some education for, for a child um, and you're observing with a parent or uh, someone else through a mirror and being able to observe whether they can start a task that you assign them and then finish it. So basically, um, you're basically creating an environment that mimics um, where the disruption might be occurring in a home or a school and mm. setting tasks and seeing if they can track through it, but also um, taking note of uh, the, the motor symptoms in that environment. Because like I said, um, even even a child with a hyperactive subtype, they might be fidgety, but they can maybe keep it together for an hour in a clinical interview. But if there's mm. a lot of stimulation in a room and there's lots of toys and then maybe one other kid, then that hyperactivity really surfaces. So observing yeah. Yeah. talking is sometimes more important. Than... Yeah. And have you got any specific triggers to think about this diagnosis in adults in terms of hyperactivity or impulsivity? Is there anything specifically that uh, you rely on? Well, I can tell you what's not part of the symptoms. I, I think something I keep coming back to is that people will tell me what their symptoms are and I'll have to either debunk it or say, yeah, that's true and come back to yeah. it. So one of the things that it isn't is um, someone came to me and said, um, I think I, I do have ADHD and the inattentive subtype. Because while I'm trying to watch a movie on Netflix, I keep taking my phone out and scrolling through Facebook. And I just can't. <laughs> and I, the pop sensation that is ADHD with TikTok and social media is making it a very familiar and relatable um, diagnosis. And hey, there's a medication, a pill that you can take every day for it. So it's a very attractive thing for someone to to live with and it's also a very um destigmatizing like we've done great in destigmatizing it but the downside of that is it's a very attractive diagnosis to have at the moment um my my hunch with adhd is often you know in the course of a natural history where someone's um, talking about how they're not functioning picking up on cues where uh they have legitimately tried and not really succeeded in many different domains of their occupation, like, you know, they start a degree and then they don't finish up. Um, they try to apply themselves and they're clearly intelligent or uh, gifted in one particular facet of their life, but they just haven't been able to go all the way. And there's an unexplained um, firing or an unexplained um, issue at work that gets them to be kicked out. Relationships never work out because they don't communicate effectively. Um, it's that first criteria of this being so dysfunctional to the functional, right, dysfunctional to different settings um, in social work that really gives me the clue that this is probably ADHD that's gone under the radar uh, and the symptoms are 
it doesn't mean that comes later. Manu, on that sweet note, we're going to have to call it. Um, I want to thank you again for your wisdom. And I look forward to chatting with you again very soon. So thank you. All right. See you soon, Fagel. That's all for today, folks. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and this has been Cracking Addiction. Thank you.